Thank you for joining us on MatchCast. This is Chris. We are very happy to be joined today by Sue Riddell. Sue, thank you for joining us. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me today. We are very happy to have you. By way of introduction, Sue is a media consultant working with various clients and vendors, providing strategic leadership, guidance, and training in media buying, selling, and cross-platform strategy. She has both big agency experience here in Chicago, as well as some uh, independent work. And these days, she is co-founder of Food Travelist, which is a, a blog at the intersection of food and traveling. So we are very excited to touch on all these topics and understand a bit more about digital marketing and the marketing industry through your experience. So thanks again, Sue. You're welcome. We met Sue through a mutual friend and client of ours, New Balance Chicago, Jeff Mack. And we're always trying to find ways to drive qualified buyers into New Balance Chicago's five retail locations. Sue, with her blogging prowess and experience, opened our eyes to uh, the possibilities that might exist for some influencer marketing opportunities that we were exploring with New Balance Chicago. That is how we met. We kept talking. We have uh, a lot of things in common and areas in which we overlap. So uh, very happy to jump right into it. So, Sue, let's start, I guess, a little bit chronologically as far as your career goes. Do you mind telling us a little bit about your big agency experience, maybe some of the things that you really loved about it, maybe some of the things you didn't love about it, and just kind of start there? Yeah, Chris, uh, interesting. Yeah, I did spend 12 years working at Starcom, which is obviously a very large you know, multimedia agency in Chicago. I don't think we've talked about this before, but I should tell you that before I was working at Starcom, I actually worked at a small uh, retail company here in Chicago, um, and I was their ad manager. So I got some really great experience working for uh, probably a store very similar to the setup that uh, New Balance Chicago has. You know, they had seven locations in Chicago, so I had a really good primer, if you will, on retail, advertising, management, everything, because because the company was relatively small, I had a purview into everything that was going on in the company, not just the marketing. I worked directly with the CEO. And so I helped him, you know, figure out where we would open new stores, you know, how the merchandising would go, you know, it was a seasonal business. So I really uh, got a, a wealth of information um, and knowledge, you know, during my tenure there. And I worked there, I worked there for about eight years before I, you know, took the plunge into working at a larger agency. What kind of a business was that? Well, the name of the stores was called FIM stores. It was called Fun in Motion and they were a seasonal store. So during the Christmas time, we sold Christmas, you know, so if you've ever seen a, a spot in Chicago where somebody was talking at a very fast pace and getting everything in, that those were the spots that we did, <laughs> you know, to, to sell Christmas. And then during the summer uh, time in the, in the spring and summer, we sold patio furniture and swimming pools. So, you know, in the fall, we sold Halloween decorations, you know, so it was extremely seasonal. So you can imagine the strategies that went into that marketing was completely different, you know, than uh, typical retail sales, you know, so um, it was it was very interesting. So, you know, we made uh, probably 80% of our profit during the month of December, you know, so, you know, it was, it was, it was kind of a wacky, you know, little business, you know. 
pros and cons to that, I would imagine, as the business owner, are you super excited about December, but there might be other parts of the year where are a little more painful. Exactly. But on the other hand, it did lead for, you know, time to plan and really get things in your ducks in order, you know, when we had when you did have the downtime. So, you know, we did an immense amount of planning, as you can imagine, you know, during that rush time, because things came when they came down, they had to go off without a hitch. You know, there couldn't be any any second doubts at that time. Yeah, so a lot of planning involved in that and, and preparation and kind of an annual cycle. Uh, interesting. So then I would imagine having that kind of access in a small business, access, work directly with the CEO, feel like you really had a holistic view of everything going on and maybe had some really nice ability to uh, have impacts at a, at a whole business level. And then moving into a bigger agency, or to a big agency, would it be accurate to say that there was a, now you have a a smaller slice of a bigger job, much more specialized, you're focused on a smaller piece of your client's businesses. Is that accurate? And what was that transition like? Yeah, no, that you're, that's totally spot on to what happened. I mean, I honestly, I was a little hesitant, you know, in, in the beginning to jump into a a large agency like that. I had a friend who was working there who had suggested I check it out. And, you know, I went for, you know, to have uh, many discussions with folks there before I actually took the job. And that was my biggest worry was going from an an atmosphere where I did see, I I would, I had full autonomy to, you know, create the advertising, also work with the merchandisers to figure out what items were going to be going up for sale every day. So it was very, you know, very, very involved. And so I knew if someone, something ran in an ad and it worked, I knew right away because we would run our reports and, you know, and we had it. The biggest challenge for me when I first went to work at Starcom, the first client I was assigned to was Kellogg's, which, you know, as you know, as everyone knows, is a giant, you know, company. Yeah. And I was coming in as a, you know, media buyer planner at that, you know, at that point in my career that was really a very junior level, you know, and so what the plans that I was putting together, I, you know, my, the first products I worked on were Rice Krispies, cornflakes, you know, really long-term, you know, uh, products that have been around for, you know, generations, right? Mm -hmm. We would put plans together and we, we learned the strategies from the brand managers and, you know, we had all the tools, we certainly had tools, you know, at the agency to use to make the job uh, a little bit easier, but, you know, it was a lot of time and thought went into these plans as well. I mean, we spent months and months, you know, putting plans to media plans together, you know, but ultimately when we presented the plans and then they were approved, I never had line of sight, you know, to, you know, did that particular ad work? You know, what kind of results do we get from that? And I didn't at at my level. And it was really interesting because I had a very smart media director at that time when I began, when I began uh, in my career, her name was Karen Jacobs. And I expressed my concerns to her during one of my annual evaluations. And and she said, uh, Sue, she said, you know, I, I understand, you know, what your concerns are, but have you done your homework? You know, have you gone and have you looked at their annual reports? Have you, you know, gone and, and really, you know, studied the brands and, 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 you know, how are they doing and what's going on in the business? And, you know, honestly, I said, no. And she said, yeah. well, that, that's your job to do. That's your homework. You know, and so maybe not everyone uh, was asking those questions because I had had that background. And so, you know, as people, you know, went up there, up the ladder at the agency, you know, they learned those things. But I had kind of already had line of sight to them at my other job. So I was asking them probably a little bit earlier. Ultimately, those kinds of questions and those kinds of projects I ended up doing, because what I ended up doing was doing a project, you know, on, you know, the annual report of Kellogg's, which you can imagine, <laughs> you know, was, you know, was, was a kind of a lengthy, you know, project. <laughs> but I was able to share that then with the team, 
you know, and say, okay, this is what I learned. And I think some of them probably thought it was crazy that I cared, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, but, yeah. you know, but some of them thought, oh yeah, you know, it's like, I want to know what, what I'm, what, how my work is impacting their bottom line. I mean, I think, think that as marketers, we have to know that, you know, because otherwise, you know, what, why are we, why are we doing what we're doing? <laughs> you know, we, uh, ultimately we want to help them sell product. I hope. That resonates with us for sure. Cause we're an agency that is constantly asking those questions and we do almost always have line of sight. And sometimes there's little breaks in your vision and you have to find ways to fix those. But I think that's a really interesting challenge to you that Karen gave you, you know, back in those days around, you can't really complain about not having holistic knowledge of your client's business until you've ingested absolutely everything that's publicly available and that you can. And then when you hit the wall of like, I know everything you can possibly know about the business in the context of working at this very large agency with this very large company, then you can start to be like, Hey, we need, uh, I would love to know X, Y, Z thing. That's I, I like that feedback from her. Exactly. And then you, and that may, and it makes you smarter and it makes you smarter working with the brands. Because how can how can you make them you know a, a better brand right? Yeah, it's also about self reliance and being a self starter and uh, going out and finding those things out for yourself to help your work. So you go from the small business where you have you know full visibility of everything to the large agency working with large brands where there's not always line of sight. Did that affect any of your work satisfaction ultimately to to not be able to see? that direct impact from your work and your hours and your brain power into the client's business? I would say for the first probably two years that I was there, yes. You know, I, I, for me, it was a struggle, you know, to get through that first kind of learning curve with them because it, at that time, coming into a, that agency, um, they typically hired people who were just out of college. You know, that, and that, that was the way they did it. I'm sure they don't do it that way anymore. And you had to go through their program, you know, yeah. understandably, you learned their methodologies, you learned all the, all of the resource. I mean, we had an amazing amount of resource tools, you know, and, you know, research department that could get you almost anything, you know, so learning that structure, which I didn't have, I and mean, you think about it, I came from a very small company that we had, the resources were anything I could find and anything I could learn you know, about our business, you know, so I, I was very embedded into the business and this is kind of the opposite, right? Right. It's like, I knew and had all these tools that we could use to, uh, you know, to apply to this, uh, these other businesses, but I didn't know about the businesses. So my goal, you know, once I kind of got over that two year hump and, and kind of worked up, you know, worked my way through that ladder, then I could have more line of sight to more insights into the businesses that I was working on. You know, once I became a supervisor and then, you know, became an associate media director, and then finally, you know, a media director and a VP, you know, as you work through that, you know, that cycle of, you know, moving up the ladder, you definitely get more line of sight into clients' business because you have more access to clients and different levels of clients, you know, at the business, you know, when, and that, that's what the goal was. And once I realized that, you know, very early in my career, I said, if I can just get through these two years, <laughs> you know, it's like, I know that I can be really good here. You know, and I can and I can do a lot of really great work, you know, and once I realized that, then I was OK with it, you know, and, and what really makes it uh, rewarding at a, at a job like that is the people along the way. You know, it's like I mentioned Karen, but I had so many other great mentors along the way, you know, that, and again, like Karen, I'm still friends with Karen, you know, and I yeah. would still have, had no problem asking her a question about something, you know, because it, there were great 
you know, resources of not just, you know, tools, you know, but people, you know, people that had been in the business for many years and experienced many, you know, different scenarios with clients and products and brands, you know, that you, you, that you don't get when you're at smaller age. Right. So a little bit of a challenge in the transition that was really interesting to hear you explore that and tell that. And then some really great relationships and people that came out of it. What other things in the big agency life did you really enjoy? And as you look back on, you have found fun recollections of. Number one is always the people, you know, the teams that I worked on, the teams that worked for me uh, were, you know, always, you know, to me, the thing that made me get up every day and want to go to work. You know, it's like, and we also got to work on fantastic brands, right? And it's like, I also was very fortunate and I got to work at Starcom during a time when was when we had the first tech boom. You know, so, and so I was working on, you know, I can't tell you how many, but dozens of tech clients, you know, probably in the first year that the tech boom happened that would come and go and come and go. And people that had so much money to spend, you know, and that wanted to put money down right away. It's like, you know, it's like, I worked in the media business where, you know, people put together plans. You get, you know, you, you spend a lot of months planning them, then you put the money in the market and then, you know, you move the, this is, people were coming in the door saying, I want to spend this, you know, million dollars today. You know, it wasn't what we were used to at all, you know, and certainly wasn't the usual structure. And so, but we figured it out, you know, and, and, and went along with it. Of course, you know, very shortly after that became, you know, the crash, right? <laughs> you know, all that all money gone. went away. All those businesses went away, <laughs> you know, so we literally, I had one client that I called one day and like, they weren't there anymore. You know, <laughs> you know that's wacky, right? You know, it's like, so. So having a front row seat to some of those kind of bigger picture kind of evolutions in business was sounds pretty exciting. Yeah, no, it was. And it, it was great. And I got the chance to do that and work on the tech side, which kind of uh, helps me in my job now, you know, but then I also got the opportunity to go back, you know, kind of into the you know, regular consumer pool. And I, I worked on Miller Coors the last, you know, seven years that I was at Starcom, you know, which again, put me back into more structure, you know, and more you know, a real true, you know, brand experience working with brand managers, you know, who had a lot of experience in, you know, in the, in the beer business. I learned a ton from them, you know, and had, we had a great team, you know, at Starcom that worked on that business. So you mentioned how the technology you learned about helps you a bit now. Uh, and you're working on Miller Coors is a food item, I guess, beer is a food item for some of us more than others. (laughs) (laughs) How did your transition out of the agency world go? I I know that you had uh, some independent work that you still do. And, uh, and then it transitions to food travelers. Can you, can you take us through those steps? Cause it's so interesting that, that in this one person here, dear listeners, we have such a wealth of experience of all these transitions of the different ways in which you can work in the, the marketing world. Um, well, I'm going to tell you when I first made the transition um, out of the agency, I was a slow starter, you know, if you will, I was very fortunate in that I had, you know, created a lot of really great relationships with folks um, while I was at the agency. So I had several clients right off the bat, you know, or people who wanted to, to work with me. And so, you know, I very slowly started building a, you know, you know, private practice, if you will, you know, of, um, if, you know, for my media business. And I would say that probably the biggest challenge right out of the box was the re- not having resources because all of a sudden it was just me, you know, yeah. and, and it's like, how, I, how was I going to do that? I remember the very first person who called me said, you know, I, I literally wanted to take a couple months off before I started working, you know, with other, other businesses and other things. And this one gentleman just kept calling me, kept calling me. He's like, please, you know, it's like, uh, finally I was like, fine, okay, fine. Like I, in two months I will come in. You know, he wanted me to do this presentation for him. 
And he said, okay, we ought to do that. And so I, I started putting the presentation together. No big deal. I had certainly put together many presentations in the past. That wasn't an issue for me. But then all of a sudden I sat down, I was done with the presentation. I said, oh my goodness, now someone has to make the copies. Someone has to make sure everything works on the, you know, so I said, I, I, I was very privileged. And I always had an assistant, who, a very good assistant, <laughs> who I love dearly, you know, who took care of all that stuff. And so I didn't really, I, myself, I didn't even stop and think, oh my gosh, I actually have to go to Kinko's or, you know, somewhere yeah. and do this work, you know, myself, you know, cause I didn't have the capability at that time, you know, to do it myself in my, in my office, you know, I do now, you know, but I didn't at that point. And so that was my first awakening to the real world of, oops, you're on your own now, kid. You know, so, you know, how are you going to do this and how are you going to manage that? Yeah, well, a couple of things as a, as a small agency owner and, and, and others who are in similar seats can appreciate. That's a nice problem to have, to have somebody continually calling you and saying, please, please do work for me. Please do work for me. That, that's a good problem. Yes, indeed. And then at the same time, it strikes me that before we started our agency and got a, a little bit bigger to where we are now, I think all of us who have worked independently have that same experience of, okay, I just sold this job. Now I have to do all the work myself. And not only that, but then, you know, you have to collect and you have to follow up and you yeah. get feedback when the job ends. And there's just like, it's just almost too much for one person to do. And I would imagine, I don't know exactly what year this was that you're describing, but just these days, there's so many more tools that are readily available for free or cheap than there were, I would imagine, 10 years ago, if that's what we're talking about. Yeah, well, it's about, yeah, we're talking about eight years ago. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, now, obviously, there's a virtual assistance, you know, and, and a lot of people that, you know, that are available to do that kind of work that at that point in time, I had no clue about. I mean, I've certainly, the, the, my learning curve had to be really fast you know, in terms of what, what was I going to do and what wasn't I going to do? I mean, and obviously like, like we've discussed too, I mean, sometimes there are things that I can't do and I, I have to offline to someone else who I can trust, you know, that will do that piece of work, you know, for me that we can either present together to the client or I can take and present to the client, you know? So, um, you know, right. those types of things that came up along the way, you know, it's like, and I was also lucky too, because I mean, when I, when I left the corporate world, I also had a gig teaching at Roosevelt University. I love to teach and my background in Starcom also included a lot of training, you know, so to me, that was a natural, you know, fit for me. And, and, and ever since I've uh, been out of the agency, I've continued to teach at Roosevelt, you know, which is, uh, to me, it keeps my brain really functioning at a very high level at, you know, with these kids, you know, I shouldn't say kids, students, you know, who are, you know, always bringing new ideas and challenging, you know, the ideas that I put forth to them, which makes me smarter. You know, so I really, I really enjoy that part as well. That sounds like a great supplement. So with all these changes we're describing, you know, you're talking about staying on the cutting edge through students and, and this constant exchange that you have with them. Talked a bit about how tools that are more available now for us to do this kind of work, whereas in the past, those things were not as well developed or as readily available. And, and I know that this might be more of your conjecture because you're not at a big agency anymore, but do you have any sense of how those changes are affecting the big agencies? Yeah, I mean, I, from the folks that I, I know that are still there and, and also from what I read, you know, in the trades as well, I, I believe there's there's less people, you know, at the agencies that are doing more work. You know, I think we, when I was there, we had this, what we used to call this, you know, this luxury, you know, because we had this, all of these people, you know, able to, I, we could, I could, I always just say to people that, that worked on my team, you know, if there's ever a problem, bring it to my attention right away, because we can literally solve any problem very quickly. You know, it, it could, because we can just put our energies and we can put staff against it, you know. So I don't think that they, that luxury exists anymore, you know, that, you know, having, a, you know, a, a huge staff, you know, that you can, you know, trust will be there to, to do that, you know. So 
I think that's definitely one issue. I think also, you know, clients have always been clients, right? Clients always want the best work. They always want, you know, they're paying top dollar, especially at a large agency, you know, so they want, you know, the best talent, they want great work, you know, but I think in this environment, they also want to know their return, you know, yeah. and that wasn't always the case. I mean, that may sound kind of odd right now, you know, people are going, what, you know, it's like people are spending millions of dollars and they don't know what they're going to get in a return. You know, it's like, no, you know, there wasn't always a great metric, you know, to figure out like cost, you know, on return you know, as there is now, you know, more of so now with digital. Right. Well, even now you could, you can measure a lot better, but it's it's hard to say that it's ever perfect. And if you're uh, Kellogg's and spending a million dollars, how do you see that in the throughput of Rice Krispies at retail grocery stores? Like that, that, that's still kind of nebulous. I would imagine I'm speculating a bit. Anyway, speaking of Rice Krispies and beer, um, <laughs> Let's get to what I most associate with you currently uh, in my limited understanding, which is food travelist. So you're, you're, you're outside the big agency, you're, you're just through your network and your uh, experience, your talents, you're picking up clients here and there to do work. You are also teaching at Roosevelt. How did food travelist come about and where has it taken you? Well, that is a great question, you know, Chris, because just looking from the outside, people might say, well, yeah, you just started doing that because you like to travel and you like to eat. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, yes, I do. Like that, That's true. But oddly enough, there is a kind of a rationale of how this thing whole start, all started. When I first left Starcom, uh, I was gone maybe three, two or three months and I got a call, you know, from one of my old uh, bosses and saying, hey, that they had an opportunity for a consultant, you know, to come in and do some training, um, which he knew I was, uh, you know, very happy to do because it was, that's in my very strong core of abilities, you know, and said, so, so would you be interested in uh, coming in and talking to us about this client, you know, and uh, doing some training? I said, well, and he said, don't worry, it's not a job, you know, because he knew, <laughs> you know, that I wasn't yeah. you know, really looking to come back to the agency full time, you know, and he said, uh, let's talk about it. He said, I said, okay, I'd love to talk to you about it. And he said, but there's a big downside to this job. And I said, oh, well, you know, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what could it possibly, maybe it's a horrible client, you know, it's a, yeah. <laughs> like, what, yeah. what could it possibly be, you know? And he said, well, the problem is the client has offices all over the world, you know, and the person who goes you know, to do this training would have to travel a lot. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh what <laughs> you kinds know? of places? Yeah, I mean, it's, a, you know, it's kind of, of like, you know, travel to? if you could have, if he could have seen my face on the phone, he would, have, he would have seen this puzzlement of like, why is that a problem? You know, <laughs> you know, because I, you know, I love to travel and I always love to travel. And in fact, one of the, one of the reasons that I you know left the corporate world was in my, uh, lack of, you know, control over my time, you know, right. Yeah. And I only being able, able to go on, you know, serious traveling when I was on my vacation time, even though I must, you know, say, you know, with all respect to Starcom, we had an extremely generous compensation program and, you know, a time program. So we had a lot of vacation, a lot of time off, you know, but I, I still wanted more travel, you know? So anyway, yeah. I ended up taking this gig I literally traveled all over the world, you know, for, and I had, I had the gig for three years, you know, the client, you know, had this training program. It was myself and like four other consultants, you know, who put together a training program for, for them to learn how to work better with the agencies that they were working with, you know, so it was a great program for them uh, because they got to be smarter and how they worked with agencies because, you know, sometimes people coming in as brand managers or junior brand managers, didn't, or even just marketing positions, didn't really know with the structure or understand how agencies worked, you know, and, and how many mm -hmm. people were involved in decision-making and, and how, you know, how, what should they expect to get from them? How should they then critique it? You know, all the, all the types of things that, 
they may not know, you know, coming in. And it was actually very smart on their end, you know, to prepare yeah. their people like that, right? And so we uh, did that, you know, for three years. And I got to go to a lot of amazing places. I got to go to places you would probably suspect, you know, that are business meetings, London, you know, Paris, uh, you know, Rome, you know, things, you know, places, you know, Madrid. But then I got to go to kind of some kind of like off the, what, what, I, what people call off the grid you know, places, you know, like Kazakhstan, you know, I was, wow. I've, I've been to Almaty, you know, which I can't, you know, a lot of people haven't been there, you know, no, I haven't. Um, and uh, Kiev, uh, I've, I've been to uh, Dubai, Jordan, you know, uh, Vietnam, uh, Singapore, you know, like China, you know, Turkey, you know, it's like, so the list is kind of goes on and on, you know, so it was a great experience, but the long answer to your question is that job was the impetus of food travelist because I learned really early on when I was traveling that I could have a great experience in these meetings and teaching people how to do their jobs better. But then sometimes I'd be by myself and I would, you know, have to go out to eat and whatnot. And I learned how to do that. And that was great and wonderful. And I got to, you know, usually I was in and out of markets pretty quickly, you know, cause I'd have to go to, to another meeting. But in the time I was there, I could really learn a lot about the culture and the, but the best way to do that was through the food and to eating with people. And honestly, what really, sparked the idea was I was in Dubai uh, for a meeting and I met a colleague there, you know, from the Starcom office in Dubai. And uh, we, we were chatting and he said, oh, when are you leaving? I said, I'm flying out tomorrow morning. He said, well, we, we, I, I'd like to take you out to dinner tonight. And I said, oh, no, no, no. We've been here all day. It was a long day. You know, I said, I'm sure you want to get home to your family. And he said, no, I, you're in my country. I insist you know, mm. that we go out to eat. And I said, okay. I, I said, yeah, you know, like, I'll meet you, you know, downstairs in the lobby of the hotel, whatever, six o'clock. And so I, when I was so pleasantly surprised when I went downstairs, he was there to pick me up, but, he, but his wife was there and their young child. You know, oh, cool. <laughs> you know, so uh, we we went out and they took me out to this you know gorgeous restaurant you know in du in Dubai it was part of a, a very large like hotel you know complex and I have to be honest I you know I, I didn't know what to expect with the food I didn't know what to it's like we were there in Dubai in the summertime it was like 120 degrees you yeah. know and he said we're going to go eat at this restaurant that's outside and I thought you know my Midwestern self said oh my lord you know it's gonna I, how am I going to survive that you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know and so we went into the restaurant and it was really amazing because we I, we walked out into this courtyard and the first thing you're struck with is you know everything's open at the top you know you see the stars it's gorgeous they've got the palm trees everything's going on but the thing that's very odd is it's not hot <laughs> it's like okay we just went from the car into the hotel and it was steamy just in that 10 steps that we walked you know into the hotel but like why is this not hot here why not well it was air conditioned outdoor air conditioning <laughs> only in dubai huh? only in dubai you know and uh we had a wonderful meal you know they walked me through the menu i had some great things i had not you know eaten before uh we had we told some great stories they asked me about chicago you know they asked me about you know the united states and uh, you know we kind of dispelled myths about each other's cultures that we we both were surprised about you know his wife you know was was fascinated with uh chicago and because at that point oprah was still here you know, and so she was, uh, you know, do you know Oprah? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I know of her. I feel like I know her. I've never I, met, but yeah, I feel it like I know her. Yeah, I bought spots on her show. Does that count? You know, it's like, so, yeah, uh, so it was, it was cute, but uh, we had a great meal. And that was, to me, it's like, if we could come together and have this great meal and understand each other a little bit more. I mean, here we are in a, uh, I was in a Middle Eastern country. People were telling me, you're nuts to go there alone. Aren't you scared? Everything. And I can tell you, I couldn't, I couldn't have felt more safe. 
you know, in a country than I did yeah. when I was there, especially with them. And, and honestly, that happened, you know, probably like six years ago. We're still friends. You know, we That's keep, awesome. you know, we keep up with each other. Of course, now with Facebook it makes it all much easier. Right. You know, they have now another child, you know, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's all wonderful, you know, and then that to me. So having that meal with them, you know, it kind of sparked something of, you know, how, how is this important? You know, well, it's important because, you know, people that travel, you know, need to learn about the culture through food. You know, yes. so that's when we started, you know, food travelist because, you know, really the, the core goal of food travelist in, in the onset was world peace. You know, small, small goal, right? Yeah, small, very uh, not ambitious <laughs> at all. Soon. No, you know, because we said that if people could come together around a meal and, and understand each other a little bit better, we hope to make the world a little bit better place. You know, and so that's that's where we are today. with food That's travelers. awesome. Wait, so we got world peace. We're getting there, I hope, you know, little by little, you know. <laughs> it's good. It's good to it's good to hear this optimism. Um, so that is amazing background into the inspiration and the genesis and your purpose of food travelist. Let's flash forward to today or 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 kind of a more recent time. Can you encapsulate a little bit some of your favorite connections you've made? apart from the wonderful world peace, uh, humans getting to know each other angle, but from like a, maybe a brand perspective, are there any brands or examples of uh, kind of campaigns that you've done through Food Travelist that connected, you know, whatever it's a, the, the food to the location, whether there's a brand that's, that's um, pushing this with you? Do you have any good uh, kind of case studies that you could share with us briefly about some campaign that encapsulates Food Travelist? I mean, in fact, there's one that, uh, well, we just finished up yesterday. Um, we've done work with them in the past. Hong Kong Tourism is a brand that we work with. And we have a chat that we run on every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on Twitter that's called a hashtag, you know, food travel chat. Mm-hmm. And we started it two years ago um, as an adjunct to the site. Because we were, you know, we were, we were getting good traction on the site. You know, brands were interested in us, but it was like we wanted to really create a community around food travelists. You know, people that really love to travel and really love to you know, explore the food. You know, when they traveled, but but also wanted to. They explored the food before they traveled. You know, it's like yeah. I don't want to go to you know Turkey because I know I can have the best shawarma there. You know, it's like so. It's like what you know. What were the things that people were traveling for? We started a food travel chat and slowly you know, built a community around that. And so every single Wednesday night, you know, we have these uh, chats about a particular topic. And Hong Kong came on with us last year to do a chat. And we did a chat that was called Asian Feasts and Vines. You know, and they uh, were the, the sponsor. And what that means is they, you know, we, we, you know, we're very, very kind of, I don't want to say picky, but we are picky about who we you know, choose to sponsor with with the chat because we do, when we have the chat, we ask 10 questions within the hour you know, and people interact on Twitter with, their, with, with pictures about food, pictures about places. And so when we have sponsors come on, we tell them, this is not about you coming on and saying, buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff, you know, and constantly, Hey, don't forget about Hong Kong and don't forget yeah. about Hong Kong. You know, it's like, and so, and and then brands have been really receptive to that. You know, it's like, we're not saying we don't want you to, you know, to tell your story, but we want it to be in a very integrated way, you know, in a way that doesn't hit somebody smack in the face. And so, you know, the first one we did, it was really interesting because, you know, people, people love Asian food. 
just in general. I mean, not just Hong Kong, but we're talking Indian food, Chinese food, Singapore, you know, Taiwanese food, you know, Thai food, you name it. You know, people love, you know, Asian food, you know, so. It's delicious. Yes, of course. I mean, there's so many different kinds of flavors too. They're every, everyone is unique and different. And so, you know, the first one we had, people were so excited, you know, to have this, you know, this uh, chat about uh, Asian food. And it, everything that happens on the chat happens very organically, which is great. You know, and so people, you know, they were sharing some pictures of some food, of course, from Hong Kong. They were sharing some tips about Hong Kong. It's like, I had no idea that there's 42 Michelin restaurants in Hong Kong. You know, so you know, everybody was like blown away by that, you know, and, and just the little things, the tips that would come out. And then slowly throughout the chat, you could just see there was many people that were saying on the chat, I can't wait to go to Hong Kong. Where, yeah. What hotel should I stay at? What, you know, it's like, so all this, this kind of positive environment of people that are already like-minded wanting to look, you know, look for food in new places. We're saying, Hey, I'm going to think about Hong Kong now. And without hitting him over the head with it or kind of forcing it. Exactly. And we just had, and, then we, and they were just a sponsor again last night, you know, as a matter of fact. And it's honestly, the same thing happened again, you know, and, and just really positive feedback about, you know, uh, new ideas. You know, it's like, and we even had some people on the chat last night that are going to Hong Kong. Like, you know, there was well, somebody was going next week. Somebody's going in a couple of weeks. They're like, these were great ideas. I'm so glad you know, that I, that I tuned into the chat tonight. That's so cool. So that makes us feel good. It's like, yes, of course I pay attention to the numbers, how many people were on, you know, how many millions of impressions do we get all that, you know, fun, fun stuff that we look at, you know, and in the aftermath, you know, but to me, the more, more importantly are the things that people say, you know, the tweets that come out, you know, that are very positive about it, you know, so, you know, we're really looking to expand, you know, food travel chat into something else, you know, along the way with the community that we've built. You know, our next step, we think, is going to be building a program where we can have these folks, you know, meet up in a destination and actually have like a food travel chat or food travelist destination, you know, and then go there and experience, you know, some new place that they may not have thought about before in a very unique way where they can, you know, get some different types of cuisine and really get a look into the culture, you know, in the destination in a, in a, in a way that revolves around this culinary travel. Very cool. Well, so this is getting the, and I don't know how recent this is, but this this is getting the the name uh, influencer marketing, and that's again how we were introduced to you through New Balance Chicago. That what you just mentioned as far as kind of going a step farther for food travelists and having people in the location, getting together and discussing food and travel while on site. That seems just like one step deeper into, I guess, authenticity or into the experience. Is that what you see happening in influencer marketing generally? Is it just going to get more and more genuine, I guess, or authentic? Or, or how do, where do you see influencer marketing as a, if we can even use that term, where do you see it developing? Yeah, no, I definitely think that people, especially in, in the niche that we work in, in, in food travel, people want experiences. You know, they don't want to just read about it. They don't want to just know that you had a great thing or look at your pictures on Instagram and say, oh, that's great. You know, it's like they want to experience that thing or the next thing. You know, it's like, what else is there? You know, yeah. so I, I mean, I think that uh, for us, the natural progression is to actually have people going places, you know, so and I think that, you know, that will happen, you know, in other niches as well. And also, I think, you know, niches are the way to go, right? I mean, it's because everything is going to be coming down to smaller communities, smaller groups, people that are very interested in specific things, you know, rather than, you know, large base ideas, you know, and there's been a lot, I and mean, it's in terms of, in, you know, influencers, 
there's a lot more influencer networks out there than there ever were. And I'm sure there will, there will continue to be growth in that area. And, and, and yes, there are big, big brands, you know, that use huge influencers. I mean, obviously we've got these YouTubers out there, right. You know, that have huge, you know, audiences, huge reach, you know, that folks watch, you know, religiously, yes. you know, and, you know, for ideas and, you know, things that they, you know, that they're interested in and learning. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, YouTube, you know, being the largest search engine that's out there right now, it amazes me. It's like, and this kind of circles back to my, my time at Roosevelt, you know, that uh, I have uh, students in my, because I, I also teach in the grad program there, they have students that are a bit older and have children, you know, they're like their children, the first thing they do when they say, we want to go, we're going to go and, and, and experience this, some kind of entertainment somewhere, they look it up on YouTube first, Yeah. you know, and say, uh, yeah, I don't want to do that. That's not cool. Or that looks dumb. You know, or that looks too babyish for me. You know, it's like, what? You know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so it's crazy when four or five, you know, maybe, you know, I, I don't know, you know, where does it start now anymore? Three, four, five-year-olds are making buying decisions, right? Yeah. Based on what they see on YouTube. So as the platforms continue to develop, whether it's a platform like YouTube or a platform that connects influencers to brands, you're seeing continuing niching and continuing kind of getting closer to the experience as people value experiences more and more. Absolutely. Well, Sue, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Quick question. And I don't know how quick this can be because it's a big <laughs> one, Uh-oh. but what's your, if you had to pick one, where's your favorite place to travel? Oh, it's like, Chris, that's like picking your favorite child, I know, right? I know. <laughs> it's, it's not possible. It's I, not I possible. won't hold you to it. I won't get mad if you, okay. if you mention two or three. All right. Now, I hope nobody that I, no, none of the destinations that I've been to and have adored will hold it against <laughs> me either, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I've, I've had the privilege and, and it's, it's, I'm so thankful, you know, to be able to go to the places that I have been able to go to. And they've all been amazing. I can't tell you, I, I've never been anywhere where I've, where I've said, oh my gosh, this place is horrible. Yeah. You know, but I personally, I am, I have a, an affinity. I am drawn to France, you know, you know, for some reason, not just Paris, but everywhere in France, you know, I, I, I just love it. I've had a, uh, a love for France since I've been a little girl, you know, so I remember the very, very first report I ever had to do on a destination I did on Paris, of course, you know, and with no, with no pull from anyone, you know, it wasn't my parents, it wasn't my teacher, it wasn't everybody, it was, yeah. it was something that I just had a fascination for. And I can tell you, I've been to Paris many times and it, it, it never grows old for me, but I've also done several driving trips around uh, uh, France and I, I just love it. If I, if somebody, if you had asked me the question, where would you move to? <laughs> that would be France. If you had to, I said, yeah, that would definitely be uh, somewhere in France. That's amazing. That the, the part about you being a little girl and being kind of drawn to it is interesting to me personally. A very personal, quick tidbit here. Uh, I remember my. 25th birthday or so, my mom gave me a book of writings that I did when I was in like second grade. At this point in my life, I was living in Costa Rica. And no, I had lived in Costa Rica for a few years. And then I was living in New York City. And I opened up this little book of writings that I did at age like seven. And I'm writing about Manhattan and the jungle. And I was like, oh my Lord, I was seven years old and already like not obsessed, but these were things that were just, I was really interested in. So uh, it's funny how those things uh, maybe embed themselves in our brains for whatever reason when we're young and they continue to stay with us. Yeah. We're going to have to get together again and talk about Costa Rica. (laughs) I'd love to. I would love to. Uh, I was married there a year ago, almost exactly. And uh, I lived there for years and it's, it's one of my places that feels like home. 
so I would I would love to share uh, share my my experiences with you. Anyway, Sue, thank you so much. It's been very enjoyable. I think um, that breadth of experience that you have, big, small, well as the the kind of innovative approach that's very entrepreneurial that you're taking now will resonate with all sorts of people. And that kind of breadth again is really. Uh, helpful to, to lend perspective to people as they uh, progress on their own journey. So thank you very much again for joining us and we'll look forward to staying in touch with Sue Riddell. Thank you, Chris.